Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tigers podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorash. I am here with Tigers beat writer Evan Pessold, fresh off his return from the winter meetings in Nashville. And how you doing? Did you have a good time? Or are you still there and people are looking for you? No, I'm back home here in Michigan now. Everything went great. I had a blast. Got a chance to obviously talk to a ton of people, executives, agents, but then also other beat writers that I've grown close with over the years to be able to catch up with them and go out to dinner and grab a bite and just catch up and network in that way. It's always a really good event. And I had a lot of fun, but we don't really have a ton of time to chit chat about that because we have so much to talk about. And I love when we have an episode where I can say that we have so much to discuss. It's going to be you and me all the way breaking this thing down. I mean, winter meetings were crazy from the get-go. Some of the smaller newsworthy things that popped up, Tigers finished out their coaching staff with four newcomers. First base coach, Anthony Iaposi, Third base coach, Joey Cora. Catching coach, Ryan Sienko. And assistant hitting coach, Lance Zawadzki. So those four are joining manager AJ Hinch's staff to round things out. Another small little piece of news as the Tigers pass in the Rule 5 draft for the first time since 2015. We know the Rule 5 draft is a way that the Tigers have used to upgrade their roster in the past or try to find like diamonds in the roughs. They did that with Akil Badu, with Mason Engler recently. None of those guys in the roster this year. So that means that there's nobody they have to keep on the 26th man all season long. That's probably a good sign for the organization as a whole. The Tigers did draft two minor league players in the minor league phase, the Rule 5 drafts. And then the big piece of news was the Tigers signed manager A.J. Hinch to a long-term contract extension. Now, that was announced at the winter meetings. That happened shortly after the 2023 season ended. Scott Harris, president of baseball operations, he approached A.J. Hinch on October 2nd. That's the day after the regular season ended about the regular about the extension that sparked the negotiations. It didn't take long for those negotiations to come to a close. And AJ Hinch has the contract extension. The terms of the contract were not disclosed. You got any thoughts on length and term for uh, AJ? I have a few. I'm curious what yours are. Yeah, I'll let you take that one. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Scott Harris decided to line it up with what his contract is. I'm not sure that he probably wants to do that because if things go sideways... Scott Harris ain't going to be the first one to go in this whole thing. So I I don't know. What what do you think, Mark? Well, he has two years to go. So I find it highly unlikely it's five additional years because now you have a manager for seven years. I, I just find that difficult to believe. Now, do I think they may have added three years to his deal? and made it five years, 25 million, or five years close to 30 million. Remember, he signed it before council signed. So the market, the, the, the high end of the market now has changed forever. But AJ wasn't privy to understanding what the ceiling of that was. But Correct. $5 million is still at the top of the food chain for a manager. So... You know, like I said, I, I could see them adding three years. Now you're at five years. Maybe you get an option beyond the three years. But that's probably in the ballpark of what I think is good for both sides. And it, I think AJ's a pretty reasonable guy. And I 
don't think it's a huge commitment from the Tigers either if it goes south. So AJ's going to get a job somewhere else. Who knows what the terms of the takeout are if he gets fired. We, I mean, but like I said, five between 25 and 30 million altogether for what he has now. So three more years. And I think it's a really good move for Scott Harris and the Tigers as well. I mean, you're locking up a guy who obviously would be coveted around the league. You go, go look at what's going on with Alex Cora right now in the Boston Red Sox. I mean, there's a lot of talk about him being coveted around the league and AJ Hinch would be in the exact same boat, in the exact same boat if they didn't extend him. I mean, he would be, there would be that conversation around him for the next two seasons. And that's the last thing that Scott Harris and the Tigers want, especially when AJ Hinch was a big reason why Scott Harris ended up coming here in the first place. Right. So like, when there is that connection, there is that tie. And from everything that we understand so far, these two guys, they see pretty eye to eye and they work together pretty well. When they first got together, I wasn't really sure, okay, like, is this real or is it BS? But I think as time has gone on, we've come to understand that, yes, their working relationship is really good. And I think it's, again, Scott Harris is showing it by giving him the contract extension. All right. Well, we'll revisit where the working relationship is at the end of the 2024 season. We'll see who's happy and who's sad. Uh, I think we'll know a lot more then. As far as context, people, A.J. Hinch is one of the five best managers in baseball, if not one of the three best. And they're probably paying him a million and a half dollars more than they're paying Carson Kelly to be their backup catcher. So in, in a relative sense, try to process things that way. It's whatever they're getting, they're probably not paying they're they're probably not paying enough and they're getting one of the best in the game pretty inexpensively. That's I'll leave it at that and we don't need to belabor it too much more than that. So let's let's move on to the big two, like we always do. We had a big signing this week. We had a signing in fact today, a signing that Evan Petzold has been plugged into for weeks. He's been suggesting it for quite some time. They're going to bring back somebody that was really good for them in 2022 and definitely elevates the caliber of their bullpen. Let's break down the Andrew Chafin deal. One, how did it happen? Two, why did it happen? Why don't you share with us all the things you know? Yeah, I've been suggesting it for some time now, but it really didn't come together until the winter meetings. Like This, this came together pretty quickly for both sides where... The Tigers obviously needed a left-handed reliever in their bullpen, somebody that they could count on to throw high leverage innings. And Andrew Chafin can provide that. He did that in the 2022 season. We got a little bit to talk about with Andrew Chafin, but he did have a rocky 2023 performance down, right? Expectation for how much money he's going to make also goes down too. It was an opportunity for the Tigers to capitalize. Point is, get to the winter meetings. And it was the third day of the winter meetings. I think it might have been what, Tuesday night it would have been, the Tigers in Andrew Chafin's camp, it sounds like there was a meeting of some tor- of some sorts, and that's when they began working towards a reunion. And the moment that Andrew Chafin heard the Tigers were interested in him, he was pressing the gas pedal to get that thing done as soon as possible. It sounds like AJ Hinch was also pressing the gas pedal to get it done as soon as possible too. He really likes Andrew Chafin and sees a lot of really good things in him. I mean, again, it's the, the, the big swing and miss slider is as good as it gets. But so yeah, I mean, really... Basically, talks progressed immediately. And I know the winter meetings, they ended Wednesday, but offers were exchanged throughout the weekend. And then the two sides came to an agreement on Sunday and everything happened within about five days. And Andrew Chafin wanted to be a Tiger because of what it meant for him with his family. All right, this is a guy who we ought to remember. 
He is a farmer in the off season. He lives in a rural town in Ohio on a farm. And he's got a wife, two daughters, a new four-month-old son. And then obviously this family farm that he loves. He's a guy that when he was with the Tigers in 2022, he lived um, in his RV at a campground in Michigan. It was 45 minutes away from Comerica Park. And it was an hour and 45 minutes away from his family farm in Ohio. And it didn't go well for Andrew Chafin last year because he said, hey, Tigers, I know I have that player option. I'm going to decline it. It was a $6.5 million player option. At the time, it looked like Andrew Chafin was going to go out and get a multi-year deal. And he didn't get anything. And he waited and he waited and he waited. And he didn't do... I mean, he didn't sign until mid-February. And he ended up having to go to the Arizona Diamondbacks. At that point in time, his wife was pregnant. She was out there for spring training. She had to come home. They spent most of the beginning of the season away. He was able to go and be with her. Um, And he was on the paternity list from July 18th to 20th, but that's only a little bit of time. They were apart for several months before the birth of their son. And I think that really like weighed on him last season is is from what I understand. And that's a big reason why the moment he heard the Tigers were interested, he was all in on coming back to Detroit. I think he really regretted turning down that player option and understandably so because everyone thought he was going to get a three-year deal as a free agent last off season, but it just didn't work out that way. So I think when you're able to really step back and look at this, like this guy was stuck in Phoenix and his family was stuck 2000 miles away in Ohio. Even when he got traded to Milwaukee, that's 475 miles. Detroit is 200 miles away from where he's at. And that's not even counting the fact that he's living at a campground a little bit closer to Ohio. So he wants to be around his family. He wants to be home. There's mutual interest, obviously, he really enjoyed his time with the Tigers last last time around. Like it, it was a perfect fit. It was a slam dunk for both sides. I was surprised that the Tigers weren't able to get it done last offseason and that they were they didn't want to bid more to go get him. That's why he ended up going to the Diamondbacks. He wanted to make that business decision. But he's here now, and it's good for Andrew Chafin, it's good for his family, and it's good for the Tigers. Look, whatever happened last year, his stuff wasn't quite as sharp didn't locate as well, really had problems with both his two and four seamers, which were almost unhittable the year before in Detroit, were not very good last year. His slider's always going to be good. But remember something, he's a he's a guy that you can throw in the seventh, eighth, or ninth. He even can close in a pinch. I wouldn't send him out there every day to close, but he close when you need it. And Tigers need pitchers and leverage. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit about this maybe later, but let's touch on it now. If you have two guys that can throw in the eighth and the ninth inning that you trust, by June 15th, those two guys are usually going to be a little toasty if that's all you got. You need at least three, and you'd really like to have four so that from time to time you can rest guys and you can, if you're good, you're going to have the lead often. So you need bullpen depth, you need leverage depth. And Andrew Chafin, probably back with Fetter, you could very easily count on that guy to be a leverage reliever. We've seen it before. He's pretty damn good. So I think it's an outstanding signing. I mean, forget the money. I don't care about the money. What's the difference between four and a half million and six million? There's no difference. It's the going rate for relievers. But what the Tigers need is they need more good players. And Andrew Chafin, when he's right, he's a good player. So all on board on this, tip of the cap to Evan Petzold has been all over the idea and was the first to market with the news. 
So good job by the beat writer here. And piece by piece, the Tigers seem to be slowly improving the depth of their roster. So I like it. What do you think it it means for Chafin himself? You, you obviously, should be pretty happy about this. Yeah, I mean, I obviously he's happy to come back to Detroit. Like I said, when he found out that the Tigers were interested, he was pushing the gas pedal to get it done. And the Tigers obviously understood that. And like I said, A.J. Hinch really likes Andrew Chafin as well. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure he was you know, pretty pumped up to get him. But yeah, I mean, look, it's a one-year, $4.25 million contract with a $6.5 million club option for the 2025 season with a $500,000 buyout on there as well. He can earn $1.25 million in incentives in each season for appearing in 70 games. So basically, this deal, he could make as little as $4.75 million, or he can make up to $13.25 million depending on if he stays over the course of both years. And he also is able to tap into the incentives and max those out both times. It's a really good deal for him to be able to pitch and create value for himself in that way, right? Like, I think that is a really good thing with the uh, club option. And if he's really good, the Tigers can bring him back again. Um, that can be beneficial for both sides. But then I think from a performance standpoint, yeah, I think being happier, like being closer to his family, I really think that matters to him. And that's something that I think we could see one improvement from him. Like in 2023, he had a 4.73 ERA with a 12.5% walk rate and a 28.1% strikeout rate. Now the 28% strikeout rate was really good. The 12.5% walk rate, that was a career high for him. He's, he's never had a walk rate at that, that, that level before. That's not something that he's ever done. So I think when you go back and you look at what he did in 2022, that's more of what the Tigers are going to expect. A 283 ERA, a 7.8% walk rate, a 26.7% strikeout rate. This is a guy who, between the 2022 season and 2023 season, he maintained an above-average strikeout rate, an above-average swing and miss rate, an above-average chase rate. His walk rate and his ground ball rate, those two decline significantly. So I think for Andrew Chafin, it's really going to be cutting down on walks, increasing those ground balls, and he'll be right back to where he was before. The slider's still nasty. Yeah, good pickup for the Tigers. Like I said, it just increases the quality of the depth. It pushes guys that are pretty good pitchers, as an example, like Will Vest pushes him down a notch. We'll see what else they put together in the bullpen as the four, fifth, and sixth guys. I'm sure Brisky's in there. I liked how Miguel Diaz looked at the end of the year. We'll, we'll see what they got. So, but like I said, reliable piece, definitely going to help them. All right, let's move on to question two of the big two. Let's review what the Tigers have done and what the Tigers need to do next. So, an offense, they added Mark Canna. They've added Kenta Maeda to the rotation. They've added Chafin to the bullpen. They've lost Eduardo Rodriguez. Overall, though, I think that they're building kind of from the bottom up. I think I tweeted today. You got to tip your hat to them, Ev. They're doing things that they can do. They're not adding inconsequential pieces. They're adding quality major league players that have made an impact over a period of years. And the low-hanging fruit, they're executing. And there's something to be said for that because within the division, nobody's really doing that. And a lot of teams in baseball aren't really doing that. So kudos to them for doing that. The question is, what comes next? So I asked the beat writer, what comes next? 
Yeah, first off, like hat tip to the Tigers for actually doing something and being active. I mean, this has been an interesting offseason because not a lot of teams have been very active. And I know Otani just signed with the Dodgers and the New York Yankees. They traded for Juan Soto. and But for the most part, like teams haven't been very active. The Tigers have made three moves so far in the offseason um, that are pretty significant, which makes them one of the most active teams in baseball. So I, I like the move so far. I love the on-base machine in Mark Canna the splitter machine in Kenta Maeda. Uh, the splitter's a really good pitch that's been really effective in baseball recently. And I, I think that to have two guys in your rotation in Kenta Maeda and Casey Mize who can throw that pitch, that bodes well for you. Mark Canna, I truly do believe in the fact that he's going to be able to teach the young hitters about his approach and really try to get guys like Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy and even Torkelson, right? Like I think Torkelson could be could greatly benefit from having Mark Cannon in the clubhouse and picking his brain on situational things and how he's approaching his at-bats. Same goes for Riley Green and Kerry Carpenter. To, to bring a Mark Cannon, I think, could could really do a lot of things just by letting Mark Cannon do what he does. And just from having the young players, watch how he goes about it, ask questions when the time is right. And then obviously bringing back Chafin, I think that solidifies everything in the bullpen because you really needed a high-leverage lefty reliever back there to help you out. I mean, again... Jason Foley, right-hander, Alex Lang, right-hander, Will Vest, right-hander. You, you really needed a lefty in there. I'm at the back end that you can trust. I think Andrew Chafin fills that. So yeah, what do they do next? I don't know what they do next. What do they need to do next? They're not going to go sign Matt Chapman. We've talked about that. They're probably going to roll the dice, it seems, with Matt Veerling at third base. I know third base is obviously an, obviously an obvious area to upgrade, but when Jace Young is coming... You don't want to block him. I understand that. I, I think they could probably use a starting pitcher maybe and, and go get another arm. And that maybe opens the door for them to make a trade. But at the same time, I don't really think they need to do anything. Maybe I'm crazy for saying that, but they're just there's a lot of upside on this team. And if they hit on the upside, I, I don't really know that they need any other upgrades. Like what happens if Colt Keith is really good? What happens if Torkelson hits for more average and maintains the power? What happens if Riley Green stays healthy? And Parker Meadows, obviously a full season of him out there playing defense. And Kerry Carpenter continues to, to do what he does. And Jake Rogers gets back into it and, and, and keeps hitting home runs. And Javier Baez, what if he is a little bit better as we know he can be? I mean, he's Javier Baez. So guys, let's be honest. So there's a lot of area for like upside that the Tigers could tap into. I, I don't really know where they upgrade. Maybe you could answer that question a little bit better. Well, I think as we've spoken many, many times, a left-handed starter like Imanaga would fit well with their doing. Gives them a lot of leverage to consider trades. And whether those trades come now or whether they come at the trade deadline once they show the front office that they're actually in it to win it or prove that they're in it to win it. Hard to say. Look, Harris has done a lot of good things on the periphery, acquiring players that he hasn't had to expend anything but money. But, you know, good teams make trades. There's risk involved in trades. You're giving up players that you might like most of the time unless you're taking on money which the Tigers can afford to do. But look, they're going to need to upgrade in a few spots. There's always an opportunity to get better. I think a lefty like Imanaga in their rotation, plus you're adding Mize. You have to expect guys like Olsen, Sawyer Gibson-Long, Job, all to be good. 
I, it never works that way. So guys you're expecting are going to be good. Like a guy like Reese Olsen through a great last six weeks who everybody feels good about wouldn't shock me if he wasn't good or I mean, it just people get injured on top of it. Look at 2022. I mean, everybody got injured. So you can't plan for these things. You need depth and the more good players you have, the higher the floor is of what you can do. But that's where a guy like Imanaga kind of has me wondering, right? Because you could say, okay, yeah, we could count on Imanaga to come over and we could count on him to handle a, a heavy workload and stuff. But I'm not sure you can say that. Like I know in you think about it and you're like, okay, yeah, maybe you sign him to a four-year deal and pay him some money, bring him over here. And he could have somebody like Kenta Maeda mentor him and he'd be good for the future. But in terms of this year specifically, I don't really know if Imanaga is that guy. And maybe you do that for the long term. But this is a guy who doesn't throw every fifth day. This is a guy who throws the different baseball in a completely different country and a different league against different hitters with different styles. Like I do think that there is some risk involved in going out and getting a guy like Imanaga. So if you really want someone that you can count on to kind of be your backbone, if Casey Mize isn't able to get healthy and resource and struggles and Matt Manning isn't really on top of it, and maybe Sawyer Gibson Long isn't as ready as we all think, I don't know that Imanaga can be that backbone for you. Maybe he can, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe they take that risk. But I do think it's at least worth mentioning that Imanaga is no sure thing either. Don't disagree. He, On one hand, he could be Ryu. On the other hand, he could be Kikuchi. So it's, you know, there's risk involved in all these things, man. It And those are two left-handers that have both had similar kind of pitch mixes to what Imanaga had. And one has had a pretty decent amount of success when he's healthy. The other one is had some success, but is mostly inconsistent and frustrating. So diff- difficult to say what exactly he'll do. All right, we're going to take our first break. We're going to be back in a minute and uh, we'll get some inside info of what Ab might have heard at the winter meetings back in 60. Let's kind of touch on some info maybe you picked up at the meetings that you didn't share with Bob Nightingale. And by the way, that was a great interview. You were you were especially good talking to Bob. He had a lot of good tidbits, a lot of things that I wouldn't necessarily be on the same page as him about, but it was fun to talk to him. I mean, he, he's, he has his ear to the ground on a national level. It was fun to get out of the Tigers only kind of discussion and hear what on a national level was going on in baseball. That's not my wheelhouse either. And I think that was nice to be able to have him on and just fire some questions at him. But I was spending my time running around the winter meetings trying to talk to people about Tiger stuff. So Got it. So what'd you hear when you were there? You're an outstanding detective when it comes to finding out information. So I'm sure you heard a few things. Why don't you share with us what you what you heard? Yeah, let's walk through this together. It was second day of the winter meetings. A report came out that Japanese left-hander Shota Imanaga, who we've talked about quite a bit, had multi-year offers from 10 teams with some offers around $100 million. And I was like, okay, that doesn't really seem right because Yoshinobu Yamamoto is the Japanese pitcher on the market. Like He is the guy. 
And we haven't heard anything about him having a ton of offers and what that really looks like. There's so much interest. All those offers are coming. That's happening. But look, there's a domino effect that had to happen. Otani had to sign. Then it was going to be Yamamoto. And then it's going to be Imanaga. And you can mix in like Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery and, and guys like that in there. But that's kind of the pecking order of how this goes. And so to hear that he had multi-year offers from 10 teams with some of the offers around $100 million, I was like, no way, that can't be accurate. So I do some detective work, talk to some people and find out that, yeah, it's almost completely inaccurate. So show to Imanaga, as of when the winter meetings were going on and I was asking these questions, did not have any offers of $100 million. He didn't even have offers. like They weren't at that stage yet. But at this point, Imanaga has received interest from at least 10 teams. Doesn't have any offers on the table, at least as of the winter meetings. And I was asking around. His market is expected to gain momentum once Yamamoto, who's more coveted than Imanaga, both for performance and age, signs his lucrative contract, possibly joining the New York Mets, New York Yankees, Los Angeles Dodgers. And then obviously the market for Yamamoto is about to heat up because Shohei Otani just signed a 10-year, $700 million contract with the Dodgers. So now it's going to be Yamamoto's turn. And then it sounds like Imanaga's coming after. 10 teams interested, the Tigers are one of those teams with some interest. The level of interest is unclear. It's also unknown if Imanaga is interested in joining the Tigers, but the Tigers are one of the 10 teams with at least some interest in Imanaga. So if the Yankees who desperately need Yamamoto in their rotation, and the Yankees rotation either is Garrett Cole and nothing, or, I mean, look, Nestor Cortez was pretty damn good in 2022, and so was Carlos Rodon. Both were either injured or terrible last year, but it wouldn't be unheard of for both of them to be effective this year. Still, they need some rotation depth, and I would say they're going to spend whatever they need to spend with Yamamoto. So to put the Tigers in that discussion is kind of humorous. That's not happening. The Yamamoto to Detroit, that's not happening from everything that I understand. I mean, I guess crazier, crazier things that happen, but I think that would maybe be like one of the craziest things that's happened. I'm, so. I'm not even sure Yamamoto is coming to Detroit on the road trip. Okay. So <laughs> I, I, you know, the idea that they include, it was not, thanks for including me, but you know, okay. No, but Mark, I think it is worth noting though. Like, look, if, Yamamoto goes to the Yankees and then say the Mets need to pivot or if the Dodgers need to pivot to go get another starting pitcher. And obviously there's a trade market and there's a lot that has to happen. But at the same time, like the price for Imanaga could drive up pretty quickly. The number of suitors could drive up pretty quickly. Like it'll be very interesting to see who's in for Imanaga once it really becomes Imanaga's time to sign, right? That's what the waiting period is all about because there is a trickle down effect with all this. And so sure, the Tigers might be one of the teams with some interest, but how real of an opportunity they have, I don't know. If the Dodgers are left with nothing, the Dodgers really want to go get Imanaga, let's just say. Like, are the Tigers really going to be able to compete with that if the Dodgers are desperate for a starting pitcher? No, that, that no, probably not. So, like, it really does depend on the trickle-down effect coming off of Otani, and now it's going to be Yamamoto with Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery in there. All of those dominoes have to fall first before we really know what happens with Imanaga. So that's something to know. I think there's another note from Japan that's worth mentioning real quick. Left-handed reliever Yuki Matsui, we've talked about him a little bit. I don't think that that's really uh, an option for the Tigers anymore. And I don't know if it ever was an option. But the fact that Andrew Chafin has signed with the Tigers leads me to believe that they're probably not going after a left-handed reliever from Japan. 
Um, another Japanese pitcher that's worth mentioning is Roki Sasaki, a 22-year-old phenom, throws 103-mile-an-hour fastball, has the potential to be better than Yamamoto. He's a right-hander from Japan. He asked his team to post him. Now, the thing is, is he really can't be posted yet. The team can just say no, but that's not the case if Sasaki has an Otani-like clause in his contract. Now, remember, going back when Otani did this, he had a clause in his contract that allowed him to leave Japan at any point. He was officially posted in late November 2017. And by early December of that year, a 23-year-old Otani signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers for $2.315 million um, as part of the international signing period. So he got a, you know, basically $2.3 million bonus. And he was subject to international signing rules because of his Asian experience, which made him a really cheap addition. Sasaki, if he truly does have that clause that Otani has, which according to a report from Jorge Castillo and Jack Harris from the Los Angeles Times in early November, Sasaki's thought to have that same clause, which means that he could be hitting the market and he could be hitting the market at a relatively cheap rate in the same way that Otani did with the LA Dodgers. Players must be posted before December 15. So we're going to find out soon whether he actually has this clause or not. But Sasaki, according to a report from Yahoo Japan, has asked to be posted. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but he's nasty. And that would make things very, very interesting if he ends up coming over to Japan. I guess the rumor has it that I, I think Jeff Passan might have wrote something about this, that Shohei Otani told him to just come over whenever he's ready and don't wait if you don't need to. So again, Sasaki's not 25. He hasn't played in Japan's league for at least six years. So he's going to be subject to all the international signing rules if he comes over, which is a lot different. I mean, he's not going to be able to get a bunch of money, but that might open the door for a team like the Tigers to you know, be competitive for him if they have money to spend from international signing bonus. So I don't want to speak on that too much. I think, again, we don't really know what's going to happen. But for as much as we've talked about Japan and the Japanese market, I think it's worth at least mentioning. How good is Roki Sasaki? Probably, the, be- probably the best pitcher in the world outside of Major League Baseball. Threw a no-hitter last year, followed it up with eight no-hit innings in the next start. So that's how good. Do I think he's in the mix for the Tigers? I would do whatever I could. I'd go down blazing. And they probably have a shot because it's not just about money. So yeah, up to the player. And in some cases, I mean, even go back to look at how the Angels got Otani. Now I know there were two other teams that were able to offer more money, but the Angels, they made some trades and acquired like international signing bonus like money. Like they went and they dealt players to get more money to try to go after Otani. There were a couple teams that did that and the Angels were able to make it happen. So maybe the Tigers can go that route. Again, we don't really know because all these teams already have commitments with international players, right? Like players from Venezuela, players from the Dominican Republic. These are the young kids that come over and they sign. So there's already these commitments that are being made. So it's, it's really hard to try to figure out where each team could be at. But Again, it's definitely worth mentioning. Two other names that I heard about, both pitchers, Luis Severino and Wade Miley. We've already talked about Luis Severino. Um, Wade Miley, apparently the Tigers had a little bit of interest in, but I did hear that the Tigers made a competitive offer to Luis Severino. And Severino had interest in the Tigers as well because he believed the Tigers could help him improve as a pitcher coming off of a ton of injuries going all the way back to 2019. Severino, though, picked the New York Mets. He signed a one-year $13 million deal. A lot of that was because of his relationship with Carlos Mendoza, who the Mets hired as their manager in mid-November before joining the Mets. Mendoza spent six seasons on the New York Yankees coaching staff, serving as the bench coach for the past five seasons. Severino obviously comes from the Yankees, so he has a relationship with Mendoza. 
And then Wade Miley, it sounds like the interest was just really mild. I, they might have just barely kicked the tires on him. But it seemed like Severino, the, the interest was real there. Yeah, well, and it should have been. Who's left out there? Well, look, Tigers aren't going to play at the top of the market. So there's no Jordan Montgomery. There's no Blake Snell. But at the same time, there's I've heard Seth Lugo mentioned many times, just don't necessarily think he's an upgrade to anything they're doing nor paying him the money. Be somebody they could deal. They don't want to give Seth Lugo two or three years. Frankie Montas still out there. I'll be curious to see what happens with that. I still have interest in that. And interestingly enough, Heimer Candelario signing three years, 45 million, four years, 60. If the option gets exercised with the Cincinnati Reds on the list of teams, I thought would be interested in uh, Jamer Candelario. Cincinnati was pretty down the list, but as a ballpark for him to hit in, doesn't get much better. And when it really does, it opens up some of the favorite Evan Petzold trade possibilities that there are in all of baseball because they now have about seven or eight infielders, multiple ones who can play third base, and they have a double-A shortstop who has caught your eye and intrigues you. And guess what Cincinnati needs? Pitching. So why don't you talk about that again for a moment? I hate doing this. I hate doing like personal trade ideas. I think it's so stupid because I understand that I don't, I, I don't know like what each player is valued at. I don't know what the data is all saying, right? Like I, I can take peaks and I can try to evaluate, but at the same time, like I'm not trying to act like I actually know what, what's going on or what's a fair deal on either side. But I will say that like I mentioned this, you know, I don't know, earlier in the off season on the podcast and I mentioned Matt Manning for Edwin Arroyo. And so now that the Cincinnati Reds have gone out there and added Jamer Candelario, which again has given them an infield surplus, I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about it again because it kind of just makes a lot of sense. I really think like a Matt Manning and outfielder Akil Badu, if necessary, for Reds shortstop Edwin Arroyo and catcher Logan Tanner. Manning has four years remaining of team control. Arroyo and Tanner haven't made their MLB debuts. The Reds really need pitching. I think the Tigers could benefit from Edwin Arroyo as a guy who hit, he's a switch hitting shortstop, hit 252, 13 home runs, over 123 games in high A Dayton and double A Chattanooga last season. Only played four games at the double A level, so that's probably where he'd be. He would serve as great shortstop insurance that the Tigers needed to part ways with Javier Baez in the next couple of years because that's not happening this year, probably not happening next year, but maybe if necessary, towards the end of next season and you know into that following season, sure, like maybe. I, I mean, I could see it happening um, if they really wanted to get rid of them and the performance wasn't any better. And then I think also talking about a catcher like Logan Tanner, I mean, the Tigers are in a situation now where they have a double-A catcher, they have a triple-A catcher in Dylan Dingler, they have some guys, but to bring in somebody who Tanner playing at low, a day, at low A Daytona last season, I think he could be a guy that could step in and move up to high A West Michigan for the Tigers if they were to make that trade and kind of fill a spot there in the organization as somebody with some upside as a defense first catcher with maybe one of the stronger throwing arms in all the minor leagues to help shut down the running game. So again, I'm not saying that any of this is going to happen. I'm not even saying that it's been discussed, right? Like there are no signs that the Tigers or Cincinnati Reds have had any trade discussions whatsoever. It's just something that I thought of earlier, and now I feel like I should probably just bring it back up again, even though I hate doing personal trade ideas because the Reds have like this obvious surplus and this obvious need. And the Tigers, 
They could probably use some shortstop insurance. I, I really think that would be beneficial because they don't really have any shortstops in their system that are long-term pieces. I don't think Ryan Kreidler is a long-term piece anymore. So aside from that, who are your shortstops in the organization? I, I don't think there are any. Kevin McGonigal, as long as he's a shortstop, a lot of people don't think he is, but we're going to find out a little more about that this year. But Do you hate the trade idea? Like, What, what do you no, think? I, 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 don't like- I, I think they should be exploring anything that helps improve the system depth or the team. You first need to sign another starting pitcher before you're going to go there, but I am not against it. So, I mean, I saw this week also that Bobby Miller is going to be the closer in Oakland. So if that's the case, Lucas Urseg is probably more available than he was before that happened. And guys with 517 ERAs aren't not exactly that coveted. I just think that's a guy that if we're going to mess around and try to develop, you know, shut down relievers, that's a guy worth pursuing. And it's, it's somebody to talk to Oakland about. Let's just say that. All right, we're going to take our last break and then, believe it or not, we're going to come back and talk about the Detroit Tigers and what we think is going to start happening next year. And we may even talk about somebody that got $700 million. We'll be back. I want to touch on some things that are pretty unusual for me, which is. Never been one to not criticize Scott Harris. I've I've praised him a little bit today for getting the low-hanging fruit. And I think it seems easy, but it's not that easy based upon the last seven years. And he's doing a good job with that. Do I wish he was a little more aggressive on the trade front? Well, yeah, we're going to give him some time to see if he he steps up now that things are starting starting to sort themselves out. I did see something this week that kind of makes me laugh. It's a lot on social media, and there seems to be a notion that Chris Illich is super cheap and he's never going to spend any money. And yes, I've seen all kinds of payroll numbers be tweeted out, and you and I have gone over this. And if you ever want to look it up for yourself, go to Spot Track Detroit Tigers. You can look it up. It's a great site. Gives you all the numbers. But right now, the Tigers at about 75 million bucks. I think with Andrew Chafin, it's getting about 78, 79 million now. At the same time, here's what I'll tell you. If you think Chris Illich won't spend any money, you people have lost your mind. He spent $125 million on the team the last few years. If you don't think he'd spend that again, he'd spend it in a heartbeat. There's nobody to spend it on. So you're asking him to spend money. He's not going to sign Matt Chapman. He's not signing Yamamoto. He's not signing Blake Snell. That, that's, that doesn't fit with how they're crafting their team build. Do I think next year when there's a lot more free agents? Absolutely. But do I think he's got 40 or $50 million to spend between the trade deadline and 2024 if they show that it's worthy of being spent? I think he'd spend it in a heartbeat because if he's going to spend the money, it means the team's good. The attendance has gone up to 2 million or more and it's a business. Even Chris Illich understands that. I'm just kind of curious how you feel about that, Up? Yeah, I agree. I mean, look, when it was time to go out and get Eduardo Rodriguez and Javier Baez, Chris Illich made it happen. 
So, I mean, again, you want him to go sign. I, I understand people look at the free agents out there and they say, oh, just go get Matt Chapman and that fills your hole at third base. But it doesn't really work. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's not as simple as like, oh, go get Matt Chapman. Because what happens if Matt Chapman sucks in two years and you're stuck with Matt Chapman for like a six-year deal and you have Jace Young who's ready to come and play and, and he's playing really well. But, you know, Kerry Carpenter is in the outfield and so is Malloy and Parker Meadows is in center and Riley Green is in the outfield as well. And then you have Torkelson at first base and Cole Keith is playing a great second base and Javier Baez is at short, but now you're also stuck with Matt Chapman at third base. I think he's a great defender, but what if he's not hitting and Jace Young is hitting, right? Like then you're kind of screwed. So I think when the time is right, the time is going to be right. We'll see if that ends up holding true. But I think that when Al Avila said the time was right, Chris Illich stepped up and he went out and made sure that the money was going to be there for both Javier Baez and Eduardo Rodriguez. So when Scott Harris comes and says, hey, the time is right, I don't see why that would be any different. Look, you don't just spend money to spend. You don't just spend money because you have it. You try to build, it's a business. You build it with a plan. That's what they're trying to do. God knows I criticize them more than anybody. But you have to have you a do. Re- Yeah, I do. To the point where Evan sends me notes, you're annoying me with how much you're criticizing everybody. Okay? And that's the truth. So if I'm at least being patient about them spending money, hopefully people will try to understand it's not an unwillingness to spend money. It's just trying to be patient for when to spend money. Okay? They're not going to do the Texas Ranger thing. It's just not happening. Of course, there's not those caliber players out there to do it for. And by the way, would you like having the Jacob the Grom contract for basically two years and $78 million that you're going to get zero innings pitched for? That That's real bright, right? So now you got a pitcher that's in his late 30s after his second TJ that you owe three or four more years and $160 million to. So for everybody that wants to spend, then, of course, that turns into it's not my money. Okay, so I always get a kick out of that stuff. I just ask fans, don't don't be don't be an idiot. Mark, here's the thing. Let's say that Jace Young does get a little bit of an opportunity towards the end of the season. And let's say third base doesn't work out for him, or maybe he's just not cutting it at that point. And you realize, man, there's really a serious hole at third base. Who would you rather have anyway, Matt Chapman or Alex Bregman? Because Alex Bregman is going to be a free agent next offseason. And so if it's time to spend, maybe that's the time to spend, right? Jose Altuve is going to be a free agent next offseason. Willie Adamas is going to be a free agent next offseason. Juan Soto is going to be a free agent next offseason. I can go on and on. Not to mention there's trades to be made at the deadline that we don't even know who's going to be in the mix yet. So, And all that depends on if the Tigers are good and they're competing or not, which I think leads to the question of, Mark, like how many wins is the floor? What is your expectation for where they're at right now? And how much are they going to have to kind of lean into potential upside when they're thinking about how this season might go? I, I would say right now the floor is 81 wins. That's the floor. Okay. So, I think 80. Okay, well, 80, 81, it's 162 games. It's pretty much the same thing, right? So it's not asking a lot to jump from 81 to 86. And if somebody wins 86 games in the Central, there's a great chance that you have a, a strong shot at being in the playoffs. The question becomes, how do they get from 81 wins 
to 86 wins. Where's the opportunity of upside in the Tiger lineup? So tell, tell, tell me some places where you think there's some upside relative to maybe what either prediction software is saying, Zips or Steamer, or just kind of what you see as players that have upside. Yeah, those kind of predictions are fun to look at for sure. But I think just you have to remember the players that you've watched for years and years, right? Remember what Javier Baez did? Like that is the number one area for the Tigers to improve. If they wanted to make that jump from 80, 81 wins to 87, 88 wins and and get up in that range, if there's one guy that can do that by himself, pretty much, it's Javier Baez. Like he is the one guy that could take them from point A to point B in that conversation. And so I think that's the number one area where if Javier Baez can get back to 250 with 25 home runs and a little bit better defense, I I still think the defense was spectacular. But again, it was a lot of amazing plays and then also struggling to make some of the routine plays. But if he can be a little bit more sound defensively, I think on, on the easy plays, while also continuing to make the spectacular plays, if he can hit somewhere around 245 to 255 and also hit 25 home runs, that's a much different player than what the Tigers got last season. So that's the biggest question mark. And and I think that's the area where there's a significant improvement and they can make that jump. I I think it's Javier Baez. I think that's the player with the most upside for impact. But I think you still have to look at two other places that we don't exactly know what we're going to get but should be very interesting. One is in center field. And I think if you look at Parker Meadows, he was still close to a one-more player for how long he played. He had a good start, a massive slump, a really good finish. His defense was off the chain good. And the question starts becoming, he didn't even really get to his power, of which he has a decent amount of power. So if you get a center fielder that plays the caliber of defense that he does, and all of a sudden he's hitting 14 to 18 homers, he's a two and a half to three war player. That's a pretty big impact player for them. If he's a two right. war player, we're fine with that. But he has the, the question is going to be, can he hit? I mean, we know he's going to play great defense. We know he's going to be able to run the base as well. The question is going to be, is he going to be able to hit? And how well is he going to be able to hit? Because right. you know what? The Tigers are going to be able to live with below average production offensively, but they can't they can't live with bad production. Right. They can't live with bad production. The good part about Meadows is he's hopefully he'll walk eight and a half to nine and a half percent of the time and he's gonna steal Definitely. he's gonna steal twenty to twenty five bases. So there's a lot of upside there. Then we got Colt Keith coming into play second. You and I were discussing him a little bit. We haven't discussed him a lot lately because we almost take for granted the idea that he's going to hit. So if he pretty much hits his floor, the low side of what we expect, if he hits 255 with 18 homers and walks 8% of the time, it's still going to be a two-war player, and that's pretty damn good. Now, if he hits more than that, and he very well hit, may hit more than that, he's kind of built for Comerica, and he can hit. So then you really got something. Now you got, you know, that's if 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 all three of Baez, Meadows, and Keith perform reasonably well, it would be 
easy for them to transition from 80-81 wins to 85-86 wins almost with no problem. So those are the three places. You also have Casey Mize coming back. We have no idea what that's going to be. I think you're going to get a full a, a full season of Tarek Skubal too. Full season of Tarek Skubal, 70 innings of Jackson Job, and hopefully they'll get more than 100 innings from Matt Manning. We'll see what else they put together. They got Kenta Maeda. So the depth, the floor of what they do, I think, is much higher than it's been. The question will be, you always need good health, and you never know who's going to have a really good season or not. But, you know, it's not crazy to think they could get to 85, 86 wins, and it would actually also at the same time force them maybe to add a few things at the trade deadline. So, and the Tigers have assets they could probably assemble to do some things at the trade deadline. So, should be interesting. I wanted to throw in something as it, it didn't seem like much, but I saw Austin Hedges signed for $4 million today. Vic Caratini signed for $6 million, which still blows my mind. Oh my goodness. So the idea that Detroit has a backup catcher in Carson Kelly that they got for $3.5 million, and he does have some upside with the bat, and he's doing some interesting offseason work too. I Look, it didn't seem like much of a consequential deal six weeks ago, but it's pretty damn good now. <laughs> it's interesting how that worked out, huh, Ev? Well, I think it's just a, a kind of a hat tip to the way that Scott Harris put it together. Again, like, I'm not trying to give him a ton of credit, but at the same time, you got to give credit where credit's due, right? Like, when you go out and you make that move and you sign him and you cut Eric Haas, to have the thought process of, okay, let's attach the option on there as well. Like a club option, we get to call the shots here. He wants to sign with us for the rest of the year and get a chance to show us what he can do, fine. Then we get to call the shot for 2024. And it was a no-brainer to do that at this point, right? When you consider where the market is at. So, I mean, again, just the thought process of, okay, let's do that. Let's add the club option onto there. Like, I don't think that other general managers would have made that decision with Carson Kelly. I think they would have picked up Carson Kelly at the end of the year and said, hey, let's just figure out what to do. I'm not saying all other general managers. I'm saying probably certain general managers might not have thought to add the club option. Scott Harris, president of baseball operations, adding the club option, I thought was was really smart. It allowed him to control the situation and give him all the power in that and, and then make the decision that he wanted to make at the time that he needed to make it. So yeah, I think that was smart. Look, looking around baseball, since the season's ended, it's not like the Tigers' moves are knocking anybody's socks off, but they are stacking solid Major League Baseball moves. You got Sign Kelly on the cheap, Canna, Maida, Chafin, all guys that have the capacity to be solid, if not good, okay? And they're not on long-term deals either, so they're not taking up multiple years besides Maida. And they should be able to impact winning. They're all veterans. They all have a track record and a legacy of some degree of success. So I think we have to say on the bottom up of the roster, Harris has done a good job. Still would like to swing for the fence a little more and see what they can do. And will I be disappointed if he doesn't? Yeah, probably. But I won't be mad. I'll just 
take it under advisement. We'll see where it goes. They'll need more things to go right, and we'll see what happens. All right, so I wanted to bring up one thing before we got to the Otani signing in. I, I When we were discussing payroll, you have to understand in the big sense, people, local TV revenues and local TV rights, which basically fueled all the pl- escalation in player salaries, all the competition, it's increased franchise values, tons. That is in flux. And a lot of teams that spend a lot of money are wondering if their TV money is going to get paid or not. I mean, not just for 2024, which is probably a guarantee, but going forward after 2024. Teams like Texas, which had $100 million guaranteed coming in. The question is, what are they going to have coming in in 2025 or 2026? The Tigers were getting a pretty decent chunk of change from the multiple ways they received the money. And I'm sure they're wondering too. So teams like the Dodgers, what's interesting and allowed them to sign Otani, they have a, a huge deal with Time Warner and they don't need to worry that their TV money is going to go away. So let's talk about the elephant in the room. There's a baseball player who signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers named Shohei Otani, who I would argue is the greatest baseball player to ever play, who signed for 10 years, $700 million. So you as a beat writer, tell me what you think about that. Incredible. Amazing. Unbelievable. I mean, look, like this is a guy that I thought would definitely get 500. I thought he would probably get 550. And I thought he would definitely push for 600. But when 700 came out, I was like, no way. That's insane. That's record setting. That is record setting money. Obviously, a lot of that's deferred. And we got to wait for all that to come out in terms of how it's going to be structured. It's only so much that we know right now. He still has to pass his physical and it all has to become official. But... Yeah, it was insane. And then also the buildup, just the winter meetings. It was all about Otani, this Otani, that Dodgers manager Dave Roberts saying this about Otani and GM Brandon Gomes saying absolutely nothing about Otani. And then the whole flight to Toronto that never was and that whole thing that that, that went down that, I mean, that was kind of a, a good reminder for me, right? Like it is, it is so much more important to be right than it is to be first because it is easy sometimes to pull the trigger on those kind of things. That's why it's important to really make sure, double down, double check what you're hearing. Those are all really important things. And it's a good reminder for everybody to do that. But it was all crazy. I mean, it was all wild, right? Whether it was the Ross Atkins Zoom conference that he did with the white wall behind him after apparently a meeting with Otani and Deneed in Florida to the Dodgers being the front runner to know the Blue Jays are coming out of nowhere. It was, I've never seen anything like it before, but 10 years, 700 million. Good for Shohei Otani. Good for the Dodgers. Wow. Good for, good for baseball. And for those that, you know, have things to say about it, if they couldn't afford it, they wouldn't have done it. And he's pretty unique. He's in fact a unicorn because the amount of money that they will figure out how to monetize from revenue streams overseas will more than pay for this contract pretty quickly in addition to what they're generating in the United States. And look, there's one Shohei Otani. I have told this story a few times and I'll repeat it. I was talking to my friend Mikey 
you know him as Tiger Mike on Twitter. We were laughing because we sat behind the plate and the first game, Shohei threw a one-hitter and it was a one-hitter where I'm not sure the Tigers hit the ball hard even once. And that game finished up pretty quickly and his first at-bat in the second game, he hit a bomb to to right center. So I can't, you know, ever say that in my... 60 years of going to baseball games that I had ever seen anyone throw a shutout and come out in the second game of a doubleheader and hit a homer. And I may never see it again. So it was the single most outstanding performance I've ever seen on a baseball field in my life. And I I don't know anybody else that can do that. Do you know anyone else that can do that? Absolutely not. Yeah, and if right. anyone says they and if anyone says they can, they're lying. They are right. lying. Joey Otani is. I, I I am a firm believer that Shohei Otani is the greatest player to ever play this game, and it's reflected in the money. It's reflected in just the magnitude of his presence, both in the United States and also internationally. He he means so much to the game of baseball, and it, it's a treat to be able to watch I me mean, again to be there and to cover those two games. Like that's something that I'm going to tell my kids about. I remember coming home, and I told my fiance, now my wife. I'm going to remember today for the rest of my life yeah. after watching what Shohei Otani did. Look. And I'm never going to forget you, Carrie Carpenter, for getting that single. But I'm also never going to forget Shohei Otani for the, 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 the one-hit masterpiece and then what he did in the second game with the bat. Like, come on. that That's fairy tale stuff. Uh, that's movie stuff. Think about it. He's a guy who can w- win the MVP just as a hitter, win the home run title, and... He's a contender for the Cy Young, okay? And now he's going to be a World Series contender too. Yeah. Well, we'll find out, you know? I think so. The Dodgers' lack of performance in the playoffs has now become almost Red Sox-like before the Red Sox won three titles. So, But but Mark, Mark, Freddie Freeman, Shohei Otani, Mookie Betts, come on now. It's dangerous. On paper, pretty great. the best hitters in baseball right there. Right, no doubt. On paper, pretty great. So we'll see. You don't play the games on paper. All right. It's been a pretty eventful week. It's time to wrap it up. We'll see what this next week brings because if it this doesn't bring anything in the next week, I can promise you in the next two weeks, nothing's happening. So I think, in fact, baseball shuts down the week of Christmas. If I'm not incorrect, I don't even know if you can do deals then. So I'd like to thank our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. I'd like to thank our producer, Robin Chan, and I'd like to thank the free press editor, Nicole Avery Nichols. As always, I'd like to thank my grandson, Brayden Michael Gorosh, and for Evan Petzl, this is Mark Gorosh, and I'd like to say peace. Peace.